So welcome to the latest edition of View from the Loch. Uh, my special guest this week was born in Fitzwilliam, in Yorkshire, uh, was known and is known as Yorkshire's greatest living Yorkshireman, made his test debut on the 4th of June 1964 versus Australia, has scored 8,114 runs in test match cricket with an incredible batting average of 47.72, was the first England cricketer to pass 8,000 test runs, and England, a little stat to add, England did not lose a test match when my guest scored a century. You are very welcome, Sir Geoffrey Boycott. Thank you. Yep. Um, Geoffrey, you, you played, we are going to talk about golf predominantly, but there are similarities between golf and, and cricket, um, I think. But you, you played in an era of fast bowlers, Lily Thompson, Imran Khan, Safraz Nawaz, Richard Hadley, Robert Garner, Holding, Croft, Marshall, Clark Westhall from the West Indies. There was no helmets for the first 14 years. Uh, these balls are coming down at 90 miles an hour, yet you averaged more than 45 against Australia and the West Indies, 57 against India and 80 against Pakistan. So not only did you survive, you thrived. So can you explain the intensity of those situations and how come you were so successful? Because I was bloody good. <laughs> Quite simple. Um, I, I think we're all creatures of where we grow up and how we grow up, what era, what uh, what type of sport we play when we're young. And growing up for me, I was part of the people before me, Hutton, Sutcliffe, whatever, Fred Truman. You grew up, there was really only test match cricket. Uh, Gillette Cup cricket of 60 overs didn't come in till 63. Uh, and then others followed uh, the 40 overs in 68. So you're grounding as a kid from being 9, 10, 11, 12, through your teenage years, was to play proper cricket. Yes. And therefore, nobody had a helmet. And you were taught right from the word go that bouncers, short balls were part of the game. Sometimes it was there to surprise a batsman. Sometimes it was there to put the fear of God of certain batsmen who weren't good at it. But above all, you were taught, watch the ball. Mm. And that is the key, whether you're, you're ducking, you're weaving, inside or outside, or you're playing the ball, is to actually watch the ball. Now, that is very similar to golf. How often yeah. do the teachers, and I've had plenty of lessons since I finished cricket, who tell you, actually see yourself hit the ball. And if you actually look at the pros in slow motion, they're actually still looking down at where the ball was that they hit, even when it's actually gone. Yeah, And that's the biggest problem for us amateurs when we start. We go to hit the ball and our head's up immediately to see where the hell it's gone. Where the process, if I hit it properly, I don't have to look up. Stay down and look at the point where you're hitting. And at cricket, it was the same. We were taught to look at the ball, really not think we're looking at it, look at it till we see it on the bat, till we see it past our nose. So therefore, I grew up in an era where when the ball was a short ball, a bouncer, and it went in front of my face and I weaved backwards, and it was six inches away, for me, I grew up thinking that's a million miles away rather than the crowd would go, ooh, we nearly got hit. No, that's a long, long way away. It's like you professional golfers, you play within millimetres. The yes. same. The great players, they watch the ball, and if it misses them by a few inches, it might as well be a mile. But, uh, Jeffrey, I mean, that is absolutely true, particularly on the golf side of things, and, and, and cricket, you know, I played a less... less lesser level than you of course many leagues below but absolutely similar rules apply but you know you're renowned for your mental strength occupation that crease for hours so what advice would you pass on to budding sports stars of today uh, golfers 
of today as well what you can pass on about your mental strength uh, and you know you you did hang around for a long time at the crease you didn't give away your wicket cheaply or easily so how did you prepare mentally for that sort of thing Jeffrey? I think everybody can work at it whatever it is patience concentration you can work at it I think the Gary player maxim that you know the the harder I work the yeah, you know, the luckier I get is is quite true actually. Mm-hmm. I also think though that certain people they're born with something. I was born with concentration. I'm I, I'm pretty sure about that. And then you work at it to make yourself really better and better. But I do think just like you're born with ball sense, and some people aren't. Some people are born to be great pianists. Yeah. Uh, there's something there to start with. For instance, I just have this ability to bat for long periods. And I practice that. When people go to the net for a practice at our game, 20 minutes maybe. And after 15 minutes, when they're getting a ball, oh, every few seconds, four bowlers bowling and and they're not out if they miss it, they're not out if they nick it, then they start to play shots. And start to get loose. I used to go in and practice for at least 45 minutes. And I'd I'd take my watch with me. Or if there was a clock nearby I could see. I'd say, right, I'm going to play an innings. I'm going to start sensibly. And you're not going to get me out. I would often put money on the stumps to the bowlers. And say, if you can bowl me out, it's yours. How much? whatever you want, because you're not going to get me out. Well, that riled them for a start. And they think, I'll knock his so-and-so block off. And then I used to sing and say anything. Oh, it's easy bowling, this. Uh, And sing a Frank Sinatra tune. (laughs) And they get mad. They get mad at me. Um, But when they got mad, they actually bowl harder, more aggressively. And... I know from the coaches at Yorkshire, the guys bowling, we say, give me a better ball, give me a better ball, I'm going to hit him. I'm really going to hurt him. And that gave me great practice and it kept my mind on the, on the practice. It's easy to get loose in practice. And yeah. I always say to people, it's not about how long you practice, it's the quality of your practice. I say to people, you know, do you practice? Say yes. But I said, it's only any good if it's perfect practice. Practice alone isn't any good. It's what you practice and focus on it. Don't treat it as though it's a chore and and get laissez-faire about it. Uh, And You must really concentrate at it. it. This is, you're practicing to make sure that what you practice is going to get better when you're under pressure, playing golf, cricket, whatever it is. So don't be sloppy about it. Don't take it carefree. Make it important. And it's better if it's shortish, but concentrated, rather than oh, somebody says, oh, I, I, I practice uh, chipping and putting for three hours this morning. Mm-hmm. I say, yeah, but when I watched it, you were rubbish. You were talking to him. You're having a cup of tea. Yeah. You know, of course, stop for a minute or two. Catch your breath, but focus and make the concentration really, really important. That practice has to be really important all the time. So, Jeffrey, we've chatted about Rory, where we're fans of of Rory McIlroy. You maybe have some sort of theory why, you know, he's not pocketing as many tournaments as he as he should be. Uh, as he's, as was predicted, he was going to be. Um, you know, w- what's your opinion on, on on Rory? Oh, I love his talent. Uh, my wife and I have a house in Cape Town on a Jack Nicholas golf course called Beautiful yeah. Course called called Pearl Valley Golf Estate. Yeah. Gorgeous course. And I saw him play there. And coming down to our house is on the 16th green, so you can see them coming down the. Fairway. I sit there with a cup of tea or a coffee and I watch people have lunch there sometimes. And they played the South African Open there three times in what, 2007, 8, 9, was it? 
and yeah. he was there as a young kid. He only must have been about 17 or something. But, and you're not going to win it at that age, but you could see he had some special talent. My yeah. wife actually put a, a banner on the balcony saying, go Rory. And <laughs> I think he saw it because we had him watching him in the glasses. He seemed to have a, a kind of embarrassed smile, but I've never met him. I just love his, his, uh, his talent. He, he's just phenomenal. Mm. I just feel he should do more. He should win more. With that talent, you've got to do more. And I, I just think he, you can get focused on too many other things. Like I, I've listened to him over the last year about the LIV golf. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I would say, Rory, it's nothing to do with you. Focus mm. on your game and win more tournaments and the majors will drop into your lap. But just keep winning tournaments. Nicholas won what, 80-odd? Tiger Woods won 80-odd. Gary mm. Player, you know, th these guys, Ernie Els won 80-odd tournaments worldwide. They're only after wins. And to do that, you best focus and not get involved in extraneous issues. Look, I know he's wanted by the media. Um, media in every sport, we live in a democracies, America, here, Ireland, wherever, Scotland, they'll come to you for questions. Sure. That's their right. It's a democracy. Mm. Don't forget that you have a right to say, thank you very much, but no thank you today. And they don't. They're almost, most people are flattered because these journalists come and want to quote from them. But all you're doing is, is filling their copy, making their life easy. And I say to Rory, you've only got a certain period in your life where you're going to be at your zenith, your absolute best. Mm. We all are youngsters, like we was talking about Rory was, with potential talent. Then we get to a point where everything clicks and we're a really great player. And then we start to slowly come down the mountain as our reflexes aren't as sharp. We get older. We can't do things quite the same. So these few years, you have to make them count. They're priceless. And you can't afford to get involved in extraneous things. Mm -hmm. I mean, when he plays well, he's just world-beating. He's just a delight to watch, isn't he? Oh, and tremendous. Yeah. You just feel, and the, look, the crowds, you know, they knew when Arnold Palmer were playing, when Jack Nicholas were playing, when Tiger Woods played, the truly great. They come and follow you in their droves. Mm. Nobody makes them. Nobody tells them to. It's because they see something special. That word charisma. Yeah. And he's got it. He's always at it. He doesn't have to work at it. You've either got it or you haven't. You don't need to work at it. And I would just, look, I don't know the lad. Never met him. I'd love to. Love to. I think I understand the mental side of the game. That was my strength. I had a great technique, but that other people could play more exhilarating shots mm. where I could make runs, I could make centuries, I could win matches, and sometimes that's just mental strength. It's about thinking the right thing at the right time. It's not always being able to hit it 320 yards. It's about making the right shot at the right time. And when your mind is clear, you're thinking of nothing else but gold. Yeah, I think you make better decisions. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think that nobody's that... perfect, but you make better decisions. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's too involved with pleasing the media. To hell with the media. Let them write what they want. Yeah, let them write yeah. whatever they want. You win to golf tournaments. What he should do is practice, go home. Yeah, yeah. Go home to his wife. And youngster, go home to his friends. Practice, go home. Didn't see Tiger Woods doing much. You go home, right? Ain't well, you certainly. Yeah, you didn't see Tiger Woods sitting in seven RPJ meetings. That's for sure. You know, which uh, no, just... you got me wrong in your head. Yeah, ask me to do that. Listen, when I was getting ready to bat, the day before anything, the Queen of England had asked for me. Oh, my mum, sorry, I'm busy. Well, you heard it. You heard it here first from one of the finest sports people that come out of the 
British Isles. And uh, Bill, that's not being rude. So no. look, see you next week whenever we go. But here, I'm here to work. I'm here to win. I'm here to win a tournament. That's all I'm here for. And, and people I don't listen, want anything to get in my way. And people listening to this podcast, you know, Sir Jeffrey Boycott was known for his mental strength. He's just um, admitted it as well that uh, that's what Jeffrey's known for. So advice from Jeffrey. Uh, Bill, you know, I'll tell you something that's true. I never, I never knew it for many, many years. My mother, and mothers always know the children. Trust me. <laughs> Yeah. Every every mother will tell you they know their kids backwards because yeah. they brought him up and everything. And my mother used to say, "Our oh, Jeff, he's got blinkers on." And I didn't understand it till years later, and she was right. I focused on here I am, and that's where I want to be at the winning post. Anything else, I didn't even see. I once came home. I was early 20s. I used to catch the bus, came home with my gear in my hand, and I had to walk from the bus stop oh, a few hundred yards home. Now, in those days, there were no fridges, so my mum would go shopping every day for meat, fish, vegetables, whatever, because you've only got a pantry, it'd all go off, you've no fridge. And she wasn't in when I got home. Oh, and then when she did come back, I could see there were tears in her eyes and she was crying. Oh, what's happened? And it transpired. I got out for a low score that day and I was so focused on what I'd done wrong or how I could do it better. I passed her without realizing she was going to the shop and I was going home. She was mortified, her own son hadn't yeah. even spoken to her. I didn't see her. I was so focused on why I got out, why did I nick it? If I'd have done this, or uh, if I get the same ball tomorrow, the day after, I'll play it this way. And I kept on thinking about it all the way home. On, but I did. And she was dead right. I had blinkers on. I like a horse who just you want him to focus on the winning post only. See only that. Nothing at the side, no distractions. That's what I think about Rory. And I've never met the lad. If he tweets about me and says I'm nuts and I don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sorry because <laughs> I love his golf. I absolutely love his golf. And I just think he could win more tournaments. Don't get sidetracked. Yeah, yeah. Now, interestingly, you mentioned the winning post uh, and you've quite a good story about Nick Faldo. And I probably would see... Faldo, uh, sort of boycott-esque. Yes, know. very similar, yeah. Yeah, grind people down, you know, kind of destroy their soul and then take over and conquer and win. So you have a good story about Faldo. Well, golf is over four days. Test yeah. match is over five days. And yeah. I remember years ago, we all get to Faldo, Jack Nicholas was asked to, you know, where does he want to be? Uh, you know, on the first day or the second day, he says, no, I only want to be leading the tournament on the fourth day at the end. And that's it. Now, I once, when I finished in 88, I played one or two pro-ams. Uh, people say, oh, go play, go play pro And I went to St. Andrews to play what was the Dunhill Cup then. And they played the program on the Wednesday because there was it was teams then, not in individuals. And Nick was playing, and I watched his golf because I loved it. Everything he focused and he played magnificently. His thinking was brilliant. And he'd had I think seven or nine seconds that year, and it had rained off the afternoon of the tournament. We played a few holes, but rained it off. And then the sun came out, and it was nice around about six o'clock. And from that hotel, I could see Nick putting on the 17th green and a few people were watching. So I, I put my coat on and went down and I went to watch him. I mean, this is, was the number one player in the world at the time. And he saw me and I'd met him a couple of times. He come over to me and he said, Jeffrey, how are you? And I, come here. And he got me up on the green. I said, look, I've only got my shoes. You're right. 
So he's chatting to me on the green. And I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm fine, yeah. I says, no, you're not. He looked at me. I said, you've had nine seconds. If I'd had nine nineties, I'd be fit to go mad. Nineties for me, getting out. I said, you, seconds. He says, no, no you're right. <laughs> he admitted that you're right. And I said, I can't tell you anything about golf, but I can tell you about thinking. The mental side was my strength. I said, I keep reading in the paper where you say you're not putting as well as you'd like and so forth. He said, yeah. I said, I think you're putting too much pressure on your putting. You can't be putting badly if you're getting nine seconds. If you were 15th, 19th, 20th, Every part of your game was good, but you put in. I'd say, yeah, right, okay, okay. The putting's just not quite there. But you're actually second. You're only losing by a shot. Maybe it's your driver. One time goes in the rough or it's in the semi rather than the fairway. One time you hit an iron and it's not close to the flag. It's too far away. You're struggling for a par. I said, I think too much. And he went and won at Valderrama a couple of three weeks later, the tournament ending that ends the, the European tour. He went and won. I've got yeah. the cut. He said, a guy asked him what's changed. He said, I had a chat to Jeffrey Boycott. And mine was nothing to do with technique. I can't tell him anything. Yes. I'm very, but I can tell you about thinking. Yeah. Even today, you know, you know our golfers are fussy about when they hit a shot. Um, mm. They don't like anybody making a noise or anything or talking yeah it never bothers me i can hit and you can talk all you want my wife rachel will say to you they'll say to me it doesn't bother him i'm focused i was like that because when i battered you can imagine what some of them said particularly the aussies i can't yeah. repeat it here <laughs> they taught me words i didn't even know <laughs> it just it just went in one ear out of the other you yeah. know, I sort of knew it was there, but I, I don't let it focus. I used to think, focus on the ball. Because if I'm here this afternoon, they'll need all their energy to bowl at me because I won't be getting out. They won't be doing any talking then. And I was just able to just focus. And I think that's the important thing is focus on your practice, on your game, and make smart decisions. And if you don't have extraneous things around you, you have a better chance of making smart decisions. Yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, I mean, for you, Jeffrey, you, you played golf when you're in Australia uh, in '64, I believe, and you met the famous tennis player Fred Perry, uh, but not in uh, doing something that was probably unexpected. But he did say something to you, Jeffrey, which which stayed with you. Yes, it was '68 actually in the West Indies. '68, oh. and uh, we were going from Kingston quite a long way up to Montego Bay by road, and the roads take a long time; they're not exactly motorways. And we stopped off on the north coast before Runaway at Runaway Bay, they call it Runaway Bay Hotel and Golf Course, to have tea. And uh, this guy came over who was the greatest tennis player, certainly in Britain, one of the greatest ever. And he knew Cowdery and Barrington and, and the, main, the main players. I was a junior then. And he came over to him and introduced himself, Fred Perry. Well, I knew who he was. Women three times running. Yeah. And he said, he just said, young man, I've seen you, but. And he said, you're going to be a great player. He said, but just remember, great players have to be lonely. Mm. I thought, wow, that's, that's some praise, that. Mm -hmm. And in a way, he's saying that you've got to focus, isn't it? You, mm -hmm. can't, you can't get involved in this everybody's friend and going to the pub every night and what? Focus. Focus. Mm -hmm. You've got a sportsman's career, as I say, the actual period where you're at your zenith is small. It's maybe a third of your career, maybe half at the most. I know golfers play longer, but playing at their zenith, at their best, it's a period of your career. It's not all your career. 
and you want to make the most of that yeah um amazing quote from fred perry my goodness uh the live tour jeffrey um we've had that we've got the ipl and cricket in india uh, and now th this, which, which sort of had a bit of controversy for the sums of money being offered, so something similar, and cricketers leaving county cricket or even test cricket uh, and going and playing for sums of money in the IPL. So now we've got the Live Tour, which has come on in the last uh, 18 months. Um, there, there's fines from the European Tour being handed out at the moment. Sergio hasn't paid his fine of a hundred thousand. Uh, it all seems to be slightly murky um, and um, distasteful, possibly. Um, what's your view on live, uh, Jeffrey? You, you yourself, through your cricket career, have seen tours that uh, maybe went against the grain, maybe was for money, uh, and, and took a lot of media abuse. So, do you have any views on on the live tour, uh, Jeff? Well, it's very similar to when Packer came and that shot cricket when he signed up the players himself. And the players at the time, I was one of them, that we were getting, golly, if I played county cricket and test cricket, I might earn five or six thousand pounds a year. Mm -hmm. Which wasn't much, it was above the average wage, definitely, but it wasn't much money. And, and suddenly he came along. And he signed them up for £25,000 and guaranteed them three years. Three years. So, really, the money he was guaranteeing them was £75,000. Oh. You, you went on a winter tour for England and you might have got three or £4,000 if you were lucky. And there's no guarantee you get picked for the next winter's tour, depending on how well you played in English cricket. Yeah. The great players, the best players, would play well and keep getting picked. I was one of them, the David Gowers, you know, the Embolton, Alan Knott. But there are a lot of players below that seven or eight who were very good, but maybe they didn't have a great year with the counties and they picked somebody else. Mm. So that went, all you had then was your county money. So here he is, he comes along and smart, he offers them money, guaranteed £75,000. Many of them thought, Oh, I've got to take this. This mm. is a lot of money. And I think that's what happened with the live. Mm. Somebody's come along, whether you like it or not, and said, I'll give you a king's ransom. And somebody offers you 20, 30 million when you're at the end of your career. When you're still at the top, somebody says, I'll give you 100 million guaranteed. And I'll let you play so many tournaments a year for prize money that's twice as much as you normally play for in America. And on top of that, you have more chance of winning that prize because there's less people, only 50 playing in the tournament rather than 144. Mm. And you're about to go, hang on, this is a chance of a lifetime. I think you should just let people go. Everybody has to have a, a chance to run their own life, to make their own choices, their own decisions. And this is where it comes back to Rory. Instead of getting into a almost a fight of words with Greg Norman, with the LIV tour, and all these meetings, he's not focusing on his goal. And I think the European tours is said, fine, you want to go play, leave it. Issuing fines, ridiculous. Nobody fined anybody. Just that's what you want to do. Go. But go and, and don't. Don't make nasty statements about him or anything. It's for some people, it's just a, a wonderful choice. Then came IPL in cricket. Soon mm -hmm. as it came, look, 2020 cricket is fun, is excitement, three hours. Yeah. Test cricket is an examination of your courage, your skill, your heart, your thinking. It's like playing chess. It mm. ebbs and flows and changes. There's nuances to the games. Totally different game. The both can be played and enjoyed, but suddenly somebody comes along and has this idea and offers you money that you'll never get and never see again in your life. I never felt that the youngsters should turn that down. I never did. I still don't. I, I'm, I, 
we've got a young kid at Yorkshire, Harry mm -hmm. Brook, young whirlwind batsman, looks talented. He's only been around a year and they just offered him nearly a million dollars to play in the IPL. He's having a tough time because he's quite young. He doesn't have a lot of experience. The pictures are slower, they're good, but they're not coming on and he's getting out. He's had 100 and got out, got dropped. He'll come again. But how do you turn down a million dollars nearly? You can't. To ask kids, I always say to people, all these people who say, oh, you've got to play for England. You should play for your country and not IPL. I said, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. When you finish cricket, I don't see anybody coming along and giving you a million dollars. I don't see anybody coming along and giving you a free car. I don't see anybody coming along and giving you a free job just because you were good for England. No, they don't. They have memories, wonderful memories of performances you played, thrilled, and they admire that. But you don't get anything for it when you finish. So these guys at golf, Mm -hmm. The Packer players, the IPL players, they've got to go earn money. It's, it's, it's too huge an opportunity to turn down. And anybody thinks differently, I, I just say you're an idiot. You're not thinking straight. Look, we all like playing for England, but in the end, people have to live, survive. People have to pay rent or pay a mortgage. They have to... They have to look after the kids, get food on the table. Why do you think there's so many strikes in England at the moment? Yeah. 10%, everything's going up, and they're getting 3% wage increase. They're all struggling. Loads of people. Yeah. These lads, you can't blame them. And either side should stop throwing stones or words at each other. Just make your choice, go. Those that have been offered to go, for big money and decided not to their choice stay with the dp tour stay with the pga in america and you shouldn't be throwing stones and nasty remarks you just let them do their own thing well i do understand if they go on a different tour that's in competition with the pga of america and the dp tour of europe mm -hmm. i don't think they should be allowed to come back and just Pick the tournaments. Yeah. That's what we said about Packer. Whoa. You want to go play for more money, secure your future? Absolutely. But don't expect to come back then and some of us get dropped for you. That's not quite right. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You I, I think saying, you can't have your cake and eat it. You choose. Yeah. Like I mean, there are rumours that a live player wants to defect back, uh, and and I suppose depending on who it is, um, that's going to be a tough a, a tough transition back. Live have come out to say that they have to forego a, a large sum of money for that to happen. Of course, the PGA, you know how it works, Jeffrey. If they think it's a big enough name and it's going to strike against live uh, in their eyes they may underwrite that money i don't know um uh, but you know the problems could be well how does he slot back in to the pga tour but anyway that this story is bill i don't think they should be thinking like that if the dp tour european tour and the pga tour of america should be saying listen we're going to make our tour so good everybody mm. wants to play nobody wants to leave doing yeah. negatives by trying to say, oh, we'll pay for him to come because it's a coup and it's a good advertising thing. It gets great publicity if a guy wants to come back. To me, that's bollocks. Yeah. Stay positive. Make your tour. Look, by having competition from the LIV tour, it's, it's made the prize money go up a great deal, hasn't it? It has, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Somebody, could, somebody could say, well, why didn't you put it up before then? You've been hoarding all that money. Why didn't you put it on before? Correct. Simple. When Packer yeah, came on the scene, yeah. I remember it well. It was 77, my return to Test cricket. When I got 100, I got yeah. my uh, 100th 100 against Australia. Magic yeah. moment. We got yeah. £400 for the week. That's what we got, £400. Right. So five Test matches. I didn't play the first three. I would have got two thousand pound only, and I was saying, 
they're getting £25,000 a, a winter. That's what they're getting with Packer. So £2,000 against twenty-five. Yeah. It embarrassed the English Cricket Board. Some businessmen gave us an extra £600 to make our fee up to 1000 And right. that embarrassed them enough with Packer and the businessman. The following year, from '78, the ECB, the English Cricket Board, actually paid us £1,000 officially. So I said, why didn't you pay us £1,000 before? Yeah. If you could afford it, why didn't you? Because you could get away with it, is that it? Yeah, that was it. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, as Rory has come out to say, um, as Greg Norman's quoted recently, Rory has said that Liv has put a, a fire up the, the jacksy of the PGA. Yes. Uh, yeah. And all of a sudden, there's a whole new game plan with lots of money being... Uh, splashed about so yeah I mean they have to take criticism for that for sure definitely hoarding money now they seem to be distributing it at quite a rate so um yeah your your, your examples are spot on Jeffrey there there's there's no doubt about that you, you alluded to your hundred hundredth um and th this was an occasion I guess there was only three TV channels then so the BBC one I can remember it clearly, uh, sitting in my house in Belfast. I was doing exams at the time. Uh, I, you know, I loved my cricket. I played my cricket as well. I you know, loved it. Uh, but this was such a huge occasion, Jeffrey. You walked out in front of your home crowd in Headingley, Leeds, Yorkshire. Um, you're on 9900s. Uh, you know, the drama mm. of watching this unfold uh, was riveting. Were you going to get that hundred? And you did with a, you know, with with a, um, was it a? It wasn't a. It was an off drive. It was an off drive. Uh, anyway, uh, Graham very on drive. Yeah, it on went straight down to my Rachel on the boundary. She was stuck on the boundary. It actually, by pure chance, went straight down to it. Right. Okay. So take us through some of that emotion of of the day, even as well. You know, how did you feel? This this is enormous and. British uh, and cricket, world cricket history, Jeffrey, you created that. Well, I came back to Test Cricket at Trent Bridge in the, in the third test and, and fortunately got 100. That, I, I think, was the hardest and toughest innings I ever played. I hadn't played for three years. I was 36. I'm past my best. Uh, there have been a lot of talk about the best player in England, the best batsman won't play. So um, some people were mad at me and some wanted me to succeed and and then I ran Derek Randall out, but I got through it. So there was a lot of pressure there. And actually, getting through it and being successful, it was a relief more than anything. I was mm. relieved. And uh, and then, oh, my goodness me. A few days later, my mother told me she had a lump under her arm. I said, she's no. kidding. I only had that about 10 months. It killed her in about 11 months later. She had two operations. It was cancer. So from there, I was like in a... I've been right to the top of the mountain, uh, magic with my hundred. Then now I'm... Oh, my God. I, everybody knew about cancer was a killer. In fact, I went to... Uh, after she told me, I went to uh, Birmingham for a Yorkshire match versus Warwickshire. And actually, my mind was in a twirl. I mean, I got stops of speeding. I haven't done hardly any speeding tickets and I, I didn't know where the hell it was. I was, um, and I just said, yes, you're right, constable. And uh, I got 100 in a rain ruin match at Birmingham, but I, there was relief at the, deep down about getting through Nottingham, the comeback test. And then when I rang Rachel the Tuesday night to go home Wednesday, ready for the Leeds test, she says, oh, you've done it now. I said, do what? It's all over the news. I said, what? They all say you're going to get your 100th 100 at Hedilich in Australia. Oh, God. I said, no, not again. I was like, oh, the pressure, the expectation. Mm. Now everybody thinks you're going to get it. The papers will be on tomorrow. They were. They were, oh, come turn up to Hedilich. He's going to get it. It's like, and you're thinking deep down. What happens if I get out? The anticlimax. Oh, in front of your own people. So I was pretty nervous. I was nervous, no doubt. 
But this is the crux. I say to everybody, it's important to be nervous when you're playing big events. Anything that's important to you, it's, it's, it's the norm. If you're nervous, it means you care. It's important to you. You want to succeed. Anybody who says, oh, he's never nervous, he's a liar. Let me mm. tell you, he's a liar or an idiot, one or the other. Mm. And I just tell the truth. I was nervous. They knew that, the players. They left me alone. I was just... and. But the great thing is, being nervous is normal and human. The clever bit is to control your nerves. Mm. And I've talked to a lot of great players like Viv Richards, at the time was the best player in the world, best batsman in the world. He was nervous, he said. Nervous as hell. But he still played great, didn't he? That's the key. And I think within about 20 minutes to half an hour, I felt great. The feet were moving, the hands were moving. Batting for me was about rhythm. Mm. If everything was in sync, I actually fancied I could get hundreds. Because I... I used to say to Rachel, I would be playing and getting 40s, 50s, 30 out a couple of times. And, and I'd be all right batting, but I wasn't batting great. And then keep practicing and I'd find that whatever it is. And I felt everything was right. When that happened, I used to say to her, come and watch me bat, I'll get 100. She said, how do you know that? I said, I just do. And when I get one, I'm going to get three. That's how confident I was. Mm -hmm. And so I went out at Headingley and within 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever it was, it was just like magic. The ball was hitting the middle of the bat and not splashing. It just, it's going where you want. Your feet are going where you want. You're seeing the ball early. You're riding it. When you're seeing it early, you see early and you wait for it. You can wait for it rather than you're, you're at the ball. And... It just all fell into line, just like that. And that was from being mightily nervous, let me tell you. I can only imagine, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I watched it in awe. Uh, an incredible occasion. Um, what, what did you actually score? Um, you got your 100. What did you actually go on to score after the 100? What was your total? 190-something. Uh, Mike really uh, said... Stay out there, Jeffrey. We want to tire them out. He wasn't bothered about us scoring quickly. Yeah. In five days, we had a good bowling side with Ian Bowen. Both of them was a great player. I had Bob Willis, who was a good bowler. We had Mike Hendrick. We had, we had some good players. We felt that we had to get the Australians down and tire them out, get them out there five sessions. Just keep going. We don't want to get out. And... We weren't bothered about uh, scoring quick. We, we, and that second night, there was 60 for five, game over. They yeah. just have to play out there. They're not going to come back when you've got 450. They're not going to come back from that. No, they're not. Not against the bowling we had. Um, game was over in four days. Yeah, yeah. One of the people that has inspired you, uh, Lee Westwood was, was very kindly a guest uh, on, on View from the Loch. And he's a Nottingham Forest fan, um, uh, and, he, and he, yeah, yeah, and he can't really, you know, he's a bit younger than 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 you and I. But uh, you know, Brian Clough was a, a, a big, well, certainly a friend of yours. But I think I'm big, not saying, friend, big, 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 yeah, big friend. Yeah, I, I, I'm not. And you admired him. You admired Brian. He was a genius at man management. Absolute yeah. genius in his own peculiar, unusual way. He could get the best out of people. And uh, he was confident, cocky, and he understood. He understood the game. He, he understood cricket. He loved cricket, coming from Middlesbrough. And he used to come watch me back. He wasn't interested in going in the committee room. He would sit in his shorts if it was a nice day with a pint of beer. He, and, and he wanted to watch the cricket. He wasn't interested in socialising, like just talking and having a nice lunch and missing the cricket. He, want, he focused on the cricket. Mm -hmm. And when he came, and he was just, he was magic. Uh, he just, he said to me, oh, all kinds of things. He said, 
Does Alec Betts, the chairman of selectors, what did he do? Does he does he come and see you when I wouldn't play for England for three years? He's, uh, I said, no, he rings me up beginning of the season. Yeah, but does he come and see you? I said, no, he rings me up. I said, why? What would you do if you, if I was chairman of selectors, they said, the first thing I'd do, get in my car to your house and I wouldn't leave until I get you playing for England. I said, why is that? He said, because young man, you're the best batsman in England and my job is to get the best team. I yeah. don't score any runs. I don't take any wickets. My job is to get the best people to take the wickets and score the runs. And you think, Jesus, I feel 10 feet. <laughs> he yeah. just has an ability to make you feel hmm, yeah. fantastic. He, I once got uh, he came to watch me at Chesterfield. Beautiful day, flat pitch. And remember, Alan Ward bowled. He was quite quick bowler, Alan. And I pulled it right in the meat of the back. Rock a rocket. Straight at mid-wicket. Out. Six, I think I made. Jesus, was I was I upset and disappointed. All the players were sat on the balcony because it was a gorgeous day. And I didn't come out of the dressing room. I was absolutely mortified. Flat pitch. Oh, mm. He came down to see me after quite a while. He said, uh, listen, I know you're upset. If you see your players upstairs, I've been sat with them. Nice lads, he said. They're wondering if they'll ever get 100 or how many they might get in their career. <laughs> you go out today, but if you don't get 100 today, you're that good, you'll get one tomorrow or next day or next week and the week after that. Because you're that good. I love you. When he goes, you think, hang on, I failed today, but it's made me feel 10 feet tall. Yeah. yeah. He had the ability to lift you. Yeah. Lift you up. I mean, I could tell stories galore about him. He just was a an exceptional man. I mean, yeah. all the stories are true. All of yeah. them. All of them. Every, every now and again, I hear a new one. Mm. I mean, he just was an amazing person. He used to he used to always want to talk cricket with me. Yeah. After the match, when I went to watch his team, I'd go and sit in his room. Opposition manager would come in, get me a pot of tea, and then trainer would come and say, boss, could I just see you a minute? He'd go out, do something, then come back. And then when he'd done all his jobs, everything, right, we're going. And we go home. And he cooked dinner for me. Yeah, he did. He cooked the dinner for Barbara, him and I. And I'd be talking to Barbara on the settee and he'd keep nipping in to go. Then we'd talk over dinner. And he always wanted to talk cricket. And all I wanted to do was talk football. Learned such a lot about it from him. And he was never, he was never shy. He bought a player, I forget his name for the minute, midfielder. And he never played him. And then he sold him after a number of months. So when I finally saw him, I said, what happened there? Yeah. I thought he was quite a good player. He said, I made a mistake. It's anybody else. I made a mistake. I thought he fit in. Therefore, it's better I sell him at a loss so he can play football and get on with his career and his life. And cut it. If it doesn't work, cut it, move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, his track record and career speaks for itself. You know, amazing to think he got Nottingham Forest to win two European, you know, Champions League, as it'd be known now, trophies. Oh, just, it's sad. Know. At the end, at the end, he never, he never was a big drinker until towards the end. And then it was, it got him. It got him in the nose, you could see. Yeah. It's a shame. It's a shame that um, he'd it, it done so much winning the league, winning, was it three or four League Cups, uh, two European Cups, whoa, two European Cups with a, you know, a nice team, but yeah, they're not Man United, they're not Tottenham, they're not Arsenal, they're not, are they? No, no, they're not Chelsea. No, no, they're not. So, I mean, what he did was fantastic. And I think it's a shame that the directors we'd worked so well with and worked for I hadn't got the courage to say to him, Brian, you've got to go before we got to the end. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah sometimes, so 
sometimes uh, a friend has to protect you from yourself. Does that make sense? It does. Mm -hmm. It does. Yeah, because at the end, he had lost it. I went to see him uh, when his team, I think they won the first match of the season. And then they went on matches and they were, oh, I went to see him at Sheffield United. I thought, I've got to go see what, what's happening. So I rang him up and what have you, come down after the match. So I went to my seat and this and that. And I went down to see him. Well, I know I went home and I said to somebody, I said, they'll go down. He's gone. Mm -hmm. He was a shadow of the person I'd known that last season. Mm -hmm. He was so cocky, confident, mm -hmm. um, opinionated, but he, he knew what he wanted, very clear thinking, which for a player, you want that. You want somebody who's very clear about what he wants. Yeah. Then when it works, it, it's like magic. Uh, and he'd lost it. He couldn't make a decision. He'd gone. And it's a shame that... Uh, his friends are on the board or is a committee then, wasn't it, at Forest? Yeah. Just didn't say, Brian, quietly, you've got to go, you've got to rest. Don't, don't spoil what you've achieved. Because yeah. he had gone at the end. But the business where that book on Man United, about Leeds United, where he was an alcoholic, he's bollocks. He, he was not at Leeds United. I saw him at Leeds United. Yeah. I saw him the first day he arrived at Leeds United was, what, 1974? Yeah. He practised yeah. at Headingley. We had a practice at Inley, and I heard, wow, what a surprise. He's going to Leeds. Oh, I better go see him. So I drove down there, parked my car, and well, it was like a football match. There were more press, TV, radio, newspaper, and all wanted a quote and an interview. I thought, oh, this is not going to work, is it? <laughs> not going to get it here. So there was a girl at like a kiosk window. She was taking messages, and I went to her. I said, look, I I'm sorry. I came to see uh, my friend, Mr. Clough, and, but uh, well, I don't know. It's not going to work, is it? She said, well, give me a name. I've got to take these messages to him and just wait. And she came back and uh, she said, right, Mr. So-and-so, sorry, he's too busy. First day with the chairman, the player. Sorry, Mr. So-and-so, sorry. Mr. Boycott, would you wait? He'll come and get you. Right. So I waited. He got me, went straight into what was Don Revy's previous room and now his. And he sat there and straight away, he got the playing sheet out of the players, all the players and their ages. He said, this is an aging squad. Mm. Straight away, he worked it out. He, mm -hmm. he said they couldn't play, but it was an aging squad. It needed replenishing. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, was, he was an alcoholic then. No, no, in 74. Well, he couldn't have achieved what he did with Forrest if he'd have been alcoholic. That's madness. Two yeah. European Cups after that, and all those League Cups, no way. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think if that's been put about, it's a shame because, you know, he's one of the greatest football managers that, again, the UK has ever produced. Um, he lifted your spirits, Bill. He did what... It wasn't just telling you something. He gave you something and... Uh, he made you laugh. He made, yeah. he made them laugh about things. I mean, I, want, I said to him at dinner one day, because I love football. I played for Leeds United under-18s, left half, and I loved it. My eyes started to go. You couldn't wear contact lenses then. They weren't around. So I couldn't play, I couldn't play football in glasses. So I turned more to cricket, which suited my Uncle Algie. He wanted me playing cricket. And I yeah. remember, I say, what are you going to do next? Who are you going to buy next? I, I, I fancy a left-footed fullback. Oh, right. I said, who's that? He said, I, I fancy that Frankie Gray at Leeds. Mm. I said, well, he, 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 yeah, he's pretty good on the ball, but he ain't much of a tackler. He's a bit, you know, a bit, not, a bit soft, sort of thing. No, no, I, I think he's a player. I said, no, you can't be. I'm used to fullbacks being tough tacklers. No, no. He, I, so there we were. I'm trying to tell the great Brian Clough that he, he's going for the wrong fullback. Anyhow. <laughs> I went on an England tour then, and I come back, and I used to go then in late March, April, whatever, end of the season. And there we are at his house after the match. We're having dinner. He's cooked dinner nicely, and we're chatting away about all sorts of things. 
And then partway through the dinner, he just said, oh, and by the way, that left fullback that's not very good at tackling, you told me, our supporters have voted him player of the year. <laughs> there were no, by the way, he'd been waiting for me, Andy, Bill. He'd been yeah. waiting for me, yeah. Just to yeah. say, I know what I'm talking about when it's football. Yeah, yeah. by the way, my backside, he just waited to let me know that he knew about football. I it laughed is. and he laughed. Oh yeah, well, that's I mean tremendous, and uh, I mean for for people that maybe don't know the Leeds United, it it was huge news following Don Revy, um, but uh, it didn't work out for Brian. It was uh, all it's been well documented, uh, but pretty difficult taking on a squad that had achieved so much and then trying to change. Um, and the, oh well, and, the directors, I mean, if the directors were going to pick him because yeah. they thought he was. It was something different and special, which it was. Yeah. And he'd been full of uh, Leeds United being dirty at times, diving in the penalty head, although they played excellent football. He said they didn't need to do that. If he'd been critical, and that was going to be a hostile atmosphere with the players, and they must have known, known that, the, the directors. If they then still said or felt that he was the right man, then they should have stuck by him. Or decided that, no, it, it's not going to work, so don't pick him. One way or the yeah. other, but 44 days is ridiculous. That yeah. says the yeah. directors made a mistake as much as him. If he only lasts 44 days, they made a bad yeah. move, a bad decision. Yes, correct, correct. Um, it's funny you mentioned about uh, wearing glasses. Um, wasn't it your Uncle Albert? That, can I remember you telling me that something about your Uncle Albert? Who'd, uh, you, you realised that you needed glasses and you thought, well, you just mentioned about the football and it was a bit of a problem for cricket as well uh, in case a ball reared up or, or what have you. And did he get some glass, robust glasses made for you? Is that right, your uncle? Yeah, well, I was doing test exams at school in the winter and my eyes started to go and uh, kids... Uh, you know, Frank, oh, I want to get some glasses and whatever. When I did, I felt dreadful about it. I mean, having to wear glasses, looking to play football for Leeds United under 18s, and I love that. I played rugby as well, rugby union, fullback. Oh, it's mortifying. I thought my world had come to an end. Cried, and oh, how terrible. It was my mother that uh, apparently said to him, I found later, look, You've got to do something. So her brother, my uncle Algy, said, "Look, he's just he's gone. He's, he's just up in his bedroom, and he gave me a right tumble in with words that I had heard, but I didn't expect to hear them from him." And he said that Mike Smith played in glasses with Warwickshire. Ah, yeah. And so I wrote to him, and he wrote back, and he said he had glasses made with plastic lenses. So my uncle Algy helped me get some glasses with plastic lenses which I played cricket in for oh, until 1968 till I was what 27 um I did all right I mean they steamed up a bit and if it rained they got a few specks of water on but I did all right and then I changed the contact lenses in 68 uh, through the rest of my career um changing from glasses to contact lenses was you know a bit different the image is very different yeah, glasses is. See, I was lucky that I grew up short balls, bounces. I watched the ball, so wearing glasses that didn't make me any more fearful. I just didn't like glasses, I hated them. I just did very few things I hate in life, but I hated those bloody glasses that I did today. No, I'd like to have played more soccer. Uh, when I went to Leeds United, that was at the time when the standard burnt down, the big stand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. John Charles yeah. was in, and the first British player to go to Italy with a record 65,000. Brilliant player yeah. he was. Rich yeah. Carter, the great uh, inside forward for England, was, was the manager. And we played on the Saturday morning and, and we changed in, in porter cabins there because the stand was burnt down, had to be rebuilt, and we played football in the morning. Then they gave us a, 
I told them for lunch after we got showered at a cafe nearby. And if the first team were at home, we got a free ticket to go and stand and watch them. And that's how I saw John Charles play. Mm. Wow, gosh, a uh, total legend, Charles was. And, and Jeffrey, you've been absolutely terrific. I mean, honestly, you've been on for an hour. I could listen to you all night. Uh, the Ashes are coming up um, this, of course, this summer. Uh, who, in your opinion, is, is going to win and why? Uh, I wish I could tell you that. I usually am pretty open and straightforward. I'm not sure. I'm not sure who's going to stay fit. These five tests are going to come all concertinaed. They're not spread out like we used to do. We get a week off or even two weeks off sometimes in my career. Now they all come one after the other. It's going to be, well, it can be quite a strain on the fast bowlers. Not the batsmen, but it's the fast bowlers. Our fast bowlers tend to break down. Joffre Archer's broke down again. I don't yeah. think his body's going to stand there. I don't think he'll ever play test cricket. I think the best thing for him is to get fit, sign an IPL contract for just four overs, two two overs at a time, and pocket some money and have a better life for himself uh, with some good money because he's had a tough time the last couple of three years with injury. And the other lad who bowls very fast from Durham, Mark is, oh, he's quite sharp. He's a good bowler when he's fit, but. He puts so much into it, everything, and he gets injured. I'm not sure whether they're going to last how many tests they're going to last. I think Archer won't manage any, and Mark Wood won't. I don't know. It's a question mark. The Australian mm -hmm. got Hazelwood, who's uh, had a bad heel injury. Mm -hmm. He went home from the uh, Aussie Tour of India playing tests. He's now back playing the IPL. The IPL of four overs is not playing uh, test cricket 20 overs a day. And whether that heel will come back, I mean, a heel injury is a dodgy injury for a fast bowler. Banging your yeah. foot down, you know, 20 times six every day, plus how many nets you have and what have you. Whoa, that's... Uh, he's a very fine bowler. Their attack is very good. Um, both sides have mm, got some good batsmen and some wobbly batsmen. And it's kind of... Ah, it's kind of even Stevens in different ways. They've got a better spinner than us. He's uh, mm -hmm. got a, a lot of wickets. They're off spinner. Uh, mm -hmm. It's 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 difficult to call. If you, if I knew who was going to be fit all the time, Johnny Bairstow is a big factor for us. I think if he's fit, they'll play him as a wicketkeeper. So it lengthens the batting, gives them more options for the bowling. Because Ben Stokes. I don't see him being fit to bowl. That's a big blow for England. When you've got an all-rounder who's high quality, both of them, Ben Stokes, who can bat so well, who can bowl so well, whoa, it adds balance to the team, lengthens the batting, helps the bowling out. He's struggling to bowl with that knee, and therefore it means he plays the batsman. And I don't see... Three England seamers and the spinner we have, if they're playing, I don't see them frightening Australia. I think our seamers can be good. I mean, uh, Jimmy Anderson's still very fine bowler. You give him a new conquer, more well, top bowler. Um, Short Broad's a good bowler too. And uh, yeah, we can make inroads in them, but I think we need another seamer because I, I don't see our spinner going to do a lot. It, it's like I'm trying to explain to you where the problem is. Yeah. Problems for me to give you a straight answer who's going to win. And I can't give you a straight one this time. I've given yeah. everything straight on your podcast, Bill. But this, yeah. I can't answer that fully. <laughs> there's, well, too, there's too many questions and imponderables about yeah. who's going to be fit. I don't know. It's... Uh, it, it's difficult to call. There's a lot of question marks against various players. Goodness, there we have the absolutely tremendous Sir Geoffrey Boycott on View from the Lock, giving up an hour of his time to talk through a range of matters, uh, including uh, golf-related stories, but, you know, really a tremendous hour's worth of entertainment from Sir Geoffrey. 
Uh, and this podcast is sponsored by Loch Lomond Whiskies, which we're very grateful for. So you can win a 12-year-old bottle of single malt uh, by answering this question. How many test runs did Sir Geoffrey Boycott score? How many test runs did Sir Geoffrey Boycott score? And you can email me bill.donald at loch, L-O-C-H, Lomond, L-O-M-O-N-D dot com or at Bill Donald on Twitter, Bill Donald at Bill Donald one. Thank you for listening and I hope you are enjoying the shows. Thank you.